Welcome to episode number seven of In the Word with Mel Bennett, a study of scripture passages from the Word of God. It's great to have you with us. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Steve Webb. Today, Pastor Bennett will continue his teaching from the Gospel of John. He'll be looking specifically at John 1:14. So let's see what Pastor B has to say. Pastor? Thank you, Steve, and welcome to everyone. Good to have you with us again today. We're going to continue with, on this podcast with their theme of John, and uh, the text is taken from John 1.14. We're talking about the Word became flesh. These are the words that we read. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Someone has said this is the greatest single verse in the whole New Testament. I understand why when I read it through. Think of it for a moment. The Word became flesh, and that's what we want to talk about today. John uses certain words to elaborate on his theme in the gospel that he has written. In this verse, he uses three of these theme words. They are grace, truth, and glory. Let's start off with talking about grace. The word grace has two basic ideas to it. First of all, it is something completely unearned and unmerited. It is something that we would never or could never have won, have earned, have attained, or have achieved by ourselves. The fact that God came to earth to live and to die for mankind is not something which was humanly deserved. It is an act of pure love on the part of God. Here we see the helpless poverty of man and the endless love of God come together at one time. The second thing that we see in grace is the beauty. In the modern Greek, the word means charm. In Jesus, we see the beauty of God. People had thought of God in terms of power, might, majesty, and even judgment. God could crush nations and destroy rebellion at the matter of a simple word. However, in Jesus, people are confronted with the beauty of the Son of God. Not his physical beauty alone, but the beauty of his life and character. The second great theme word that John brings out in this epistle is truth. Here is one of the dominating words of the gospel. Let us see some the things John has to say about Jesus and the truth. First of all, Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth, John 14 and 6. To see truth, we must look at Jesus. Most people see pictures rather than abstract ideas. For example, if I want to describe beauty, I may take a great deal of time and effort to describe it to you, and yet, I don't seem to get the job done. It seems much easier if I simply say, that is a beautiful person. And when you see and meet the person, you understand what I am talking about. Ever since man began to think about God, they have been trying to define just what, who and what God is like. 
But now we can look at Jesus and know what God is like. Jesus did not come to talk about God, but to show us what God is like. Now the simplest of person can know God as intimately as the greatest of philosophers. And I don't know about you, sometimes I feel pretty simple, and I'm glad that I can trust in Jesus, just like the wisest of men can. Secondly, we find that Jesus is the communicator of truth. Jesus told his disciples if they continued with him, they would know the truth in John 8, 31 and 32. Listen to these words. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Listen to what he told Pilate one day. John 18:37. Pilate therefore said to him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the Father. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. You see, Jesus is the one who amidst the shadows makes things clear, who at the many crossroads of life shows us the right way, who in the baffling moments of decision enables us to choose right from wrong, who amidst the many voices which clamor for our allegiance tells us what to believe. Thirdly, Jesus, when he left this earth, he left us his spirit to tell us the truth and to guide us into the truth. His spirit is the spirit of truth. Listen to these verses of scripture. John fourteen sixteen through 17 says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. John 15 and 26 says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. John 16 and 13 says, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that will he speak, and he will show you things to come. You see, Jesus did not leave us a book of instructions or a body of teachings. Rather, he left us his spirit. Still today, we can ask him what to do, for the spirit of God is with us all the way, and he is still with us today. Fourthly, the truth is that which makes us free. John 8.32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. A man may fear that he is ill. Something is wrong with him, physically. He hasn't felt well for some time. And so he goes to the doctor. He gets a, a report back from the doctor. Even if the verdict is bad, there's a certain liberating quality in knowing the truth and knowing what is wrong. The truth which Jesus brings liberates us from being entangled and estranged from God. It liberates us from frustrations in life. It liberates us from our weaknesses and fears and doubts. Jesus Christ is a great liberator in life, if we are willing to put our trust in Him and Him alone. The next thing I notice is that truth can be resented. They sought to kill Jesus because He told the truth. John 8.40 says, But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath 
told you the truth which I have heard of God. See, the fact remains people may shut their ears and their minds to the truth, even though they know and have heard the truth. They may even kill the man who tells them the truth, but the truth remains. The truth will catch up with you in the end. Next, I find the truth can be disbelieved, John 8.45 says, and because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. You see, Jesus may give you the truth, but people may not believe the truth because it is too good to be true, or people may not accept the truth because they are so attached to their half-truths that they disbelieve the truth. In many cases, the half-truths are the worst enemies of the whole truth. Oh, God, help us to listen to the whole truth and not become so attached to our thinking and our half-truths that we stay with them. The next thing I notice is that the truth is not something mental. It is something that must be done. John 3.21 says, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen. They have been done in God. The truth is something that must be known with the mind, accepted with the heart, and enacted in life. Jesus expects his followers to live out the truth of the word, and he has given us his spirit to enable us to do it. We have looked at the two great theme words of this verse, grace and truth. Now let us look at the third word, glory. And I love this word. Many times over, John uses the word glory in connection with Jesus Christ. First of all, the life of Christ was a manifestation of glory. When Jesus turned water into wine in Cana, John says he manifested his glory, John 2.11. To look at Jesus and experience his power and his love was to enter into a new glory. Secondly, the glory which he manifested is the glory of God. In John 5:41, Jesus said he did not receive this glory from man. Jesus did not seek his own glory, but the Father's who sent him, John 7:18. It is the glory of God that Martha saw in the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John 11:4 glory that was on Jesus, that clung about him, that shone through him and acted in him, is the glory of God. And yet, the glory was uniquely his own. At the end of his life, he prays that the Father will glorify him with the glory he had before the world began. John 17, 5. He shines with two, no borrowed radiance. His glory is his, and his by right. Jesus deserves to be and have the glory of God. Fourthly, the glory which is his is transmitted to his disciples in John 17 and 22. It is as though Jesus shared the glory of God and the disciples shared the glory of Christ. The coming of Jesus is the coming of God's glory among men. What then does John mean by all this? To get an answer, I think we must look into the Old Testament. To the Jew, the Shekinah was a very dear thing. Shekinah means that which dwells and is used for the visible presence of God among men. Again and again we come across this idea in the Old Testament that there were certain times when God's glory was visible among people. In the desert before the giving of the manna, this is what happened. John 16.10 tells us, Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel 
that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Before the giving of the Ten Commandments, it tells us in Exodus 24:16, the glory of the Lord abode upon the mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. Again, when the tabernacle was completed and equipped, in Exodus 40:34, the Bible says, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. These are but a few of the times when the glory of God was visibly present with his people. In the Old Testament, the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, came at times when God was very near and very close to his people. In Scripture, the glory of the Lord and the presence of the Lord are synonymous or the same. John gives an illustration of a father who is a king, and he invests his son with his, all his authority and power. That son has the value and the property and the authority of his father, the king. When Jesus came to the earth, people saw in him the splendor of God, and at the heart of that splendor is love. When Jesus came to this earth, people saw the wonder of God, and that wonder was love. When Jesus came to the earth, the people saw the glory of God, and the glory of God and the love of God were one and the same. The glory of God is not the glory of a despot or a tyrant, but that splendor of love before which we fall, not in abject terror, but in wonder, love, and praise. Dear friend, if you will humble yourself and bow before him, he will show you his wonder, love, and glory and he will change your life, and you can be born again. I'm currently in Virginia at one of my daughter's homes. She recently purchased a series of videos on the life of Christ. They depict beautifully the humanity of Jesus, and yet you see the glory of God shine through him. The series is called Chosen, and I highly recommend it. But even more, I recommend that you accept Jesus right now. Pray with me this simple prayer. Jesus. Come into my life and change me. I repent of my sins. Make me a child of God. Amen. I listened to the words of this hymn. It was written by H.G. Johnson in about 1900. H.G. Johnson lived from 1838 to 1914, and he pastored a church in Illinois. This is what it says. If you from sin are longing to be free, look to the Lamb of God. He to redeem you died on Calvary. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God, for he alone is able to save you. Look to the Lamb of God. When Satan tempts and doubts and fears assail, look to the Lamb of God. You and his strength shall over all prevail. Look to the Lamb of God. Are you weary? Does the way seem long? Look to the Lamb of God. His love will cheer you and fill your heart with song. Look to the Lamb of God. Fear not when shadows o'er your pathway fall. Look to the Lamb of God. Enjoy our sorrow. Christ is over all. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. Look to the Lamb of God. For he alone is able to save you. Look to the Lamb of God. I hope you do know Jesus as your Savior. If you prayed that prayer with Pastor Bennett, I'm quite sure that he would love to hear from you. You can write to him at pastorb at lifespringmedia.com. 
Next week, he'll cover John 1, verses 15 through 18, and will deal with the inexhaustible fullness of Christ and the revelation of God. Before we go, I'd like to invite you to visit lifespringmedia.com and take a look at the content we have available for you. There are over 2,000 podcast episodes, including a brand new show called How to Pronounce Bible Names. If you have a hard time pronouncing some of the long names in the Bible, check it out. That's How to Pronounce Bible Names at our website, lifespringmedia.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm Steve Webb. Bye.